Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thanks for joining us on Positively Dad. My name's James Shaw. I'm your host. I'm a dad. My wife, Terry, and I have a almost eight-year-old second grader. Her name is Naomi, and she will actually be on at the end of the episode today, so uh, you'll want to tune in for that. We do two podcast episodes every week. This is the more traditional one, the one released on Monday morning, where I talk to an expert about something that we should think about as dads. You know, my goal through this is to help us grow as parents, partners, and people. And so we're going to have conversations about things that maybe you didn't even know you needed to talk about. So that's what we do on Mondays. Every Thursday, we do an episode where I talk to a dad about being a dad. It's a lot of fun. So I trust that you'll join us for that. My goal is to help us grow and become better. And sometimes that means having conversations that, quite frankly, you may not even want to have or be interested in having. And uh, and we're going to have them, though, because it's important to fulfill that mission. If you're someone that listens usually with your little kids in the car, maybe elementary school age, today might not be a day for that. Uh, we're going to talk about something that maybe your older kids might be willing to listen to you with and that as a parent you'd be comfortable with. And, and if you have littles, it's just something you want to think about because we're going to talk politics, parents, and kids. And it's, it's a conversation that we've got to have. You know, if you rewind back to the 2016 election, it was one that was really fascinating, I guess. It had uh, two very interesting candidates. The supporters of those candidates tended to be very passionate. The results of the election surprised many and excited some and had many upset. And uh, the three years since that time has been a very interesting time in our country. And there's a lot of thoughts that go along with that. People talked about, you know, what happened as far as voting if you look at different ethnic groups. And people talked about different age groups. And then it had there's a rise of people protesting more than ever. And it just seems like that the nation's divided more than maybe it's ever been. Well, today we're going to talk about that because, I, you know, the, the joke came out around the 2016 election that, you know, Thanksgiving was not going to be the same. And that conversation's continued. Because you sit at your Thanksgiving table and you find out that the person sitting next to you, summoning your family, voted for Trump and, and you didn't, or, or voted for Clinton and you didn't, and what did that lead to? Is that really the kind of country we want to live in? Do we really want to be in a country where we can't even have a relationship with our family based on who they voted for and what they believe? I don't think we do. And that's why I reached out to our guest for today. Her name's Lauren Duca. Now, Lauren got some attention a few years ago when she wrote a, a piece for uh, Teen Vogue called Donald Trump is Gaslighting America. Now, she's not a Trump supporter, and she has no shame in admitting that. And this podcast episode is not about should you support Trump or not. It's about how do we as a family still be able to communicate and get along when we have differing political beliefs? And how can we as dads support our kids when they think differently than us? Well, Lauren wrote a book called How to Start a Revolution, and she shares in that book some of her story about that election night back in 2016, and she's going to tell you more about it and how that impacted her relationship with her father and how they've worked really hard to prepare that relationship. And then she's going to talk with us a little bit about how we as dads can help support our kids when they believe strongly in something, even if we don't agree with them. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and I think it's a conversation that will be of great value to you, and I just ask one rule. I ask that you are willing to receive her message. 
I ask that you're just willing to hit the pause button on whatever your beliefs may be and be open to what she's going to share. If you aren't going to do that, turn it off now. Just turn it off and go back and listen to something else. If you're interested and you're going to be curious about our conversation today, then I think you'll enjoy it and we'll go from there. So let's get started. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on Positively Dad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So this is going to be a fun conversation. And, and you know, I appreciate the message that you're sending out. I think sometimes, Lauren, I think people look on the surface and, and don't understand. And my goal today is to help to get people to understand. And we've got, it's a fascinating time in our country right now. There's a lot going on and you got to live that. I mean, on election night, 2016, you walk in your house and you think one thing, you find out something else. Can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that experience that you talk about in your book, just between you and your parents there on election night in 2016? Yeah. So I, came home to New Jersey where my parents live and where I was still registered to vote in the 2016 election. And I actually just wasn't sure if my parents were going to vote at all. And when I came home, I saw my dad's car in the driveway. He was home early from work and that meant that they were going to vote and I knew it wasn't going to be for Hillary. Uh, I had tr trouble understanding how my parents could even imagine voting for Trump. And when he won, I had trouble reconciling my desire to believe that my parents are good people. Trump for me was just an atrocity. And I might have been able to ignore them voting for him if he had lost and, and written it off. But when he won, I was so shocked and I experienced a, a personal political awakening about my own sense of agency. And part of it had to do with grappling with how to relate to my parents. And um, I, I have a visceral memory of watching the results come in with my dad and I'm just sobbing. I'm just completely losing it over the reality of Trump winning. And my dad, who voted for him, is torn, right? Because he, his daughter is crying. But right. also, the outcome that he cast a ballot for is the reason why. And yeah. it was really this heartbreaking fracturing of our relationship. Eventually, we actually were estranged because in the wake of the election, the wake of my political awakening, I decided to use my journalism as activism in so far as I wanted to empower people with information. And in the wake of Trump's win, it seemed to me that the most critical thing that people needed to understand was the way in which Trump was gaslighting the public and, and the way he continues to gaslight the public. And when I published my essay, Donald Trump is Gaslighting America, to Teen Vogue, it went massively viral. And then I was catapulted to this public figuredom where I was, you know, professionally talking and writing about politics. And my parents just didn't want to bring up the subject. And so it it, it completely and totally changed the, the way I was able to think about relating to them. Yeah. And this is, you know, minus the being published in Teen Vogue part, this, this has happened in Households across this country. I mean, this is this is all over the place. It's gone on, 
And I got a call, Lauren, I got a call from my sister. I have a sister who's eight years younger than me. She's in her early 30s. I get a call from her with the exact same experience that you had. I mean, just absolute devastation about it and, you know, and how to handle that. So it's a, it's a thing that's happened all over the place. And it's also happened probably in previous generations, except it just seems more exposed this time because of the type of world we're in. And yeah. so I'm, I'm curious on, because you told me, you, you know, you and your dad actually have a really dynamic relationship now. And this has been yeah. uh, three years of massive change in your life. I mean, it's just absolute turnover in your life from what you're about, what you stand for, who you are as a person. So I, yeah. I want to put out there that you and your dad have repaired this relationship and moved forward. And I want to talk about how you've done that and why that's so important. Yeah. So the first step for us coming back together, well, actually it might help to share the, the story that kind of helped me figure out how to talk to my parents again. My family had a blow up fight that I write about in my book, How to Start a Revolution, it hinged on a complete inability to communicate and, you know, ended with my father screaming uh, about liberal bias. And I basically totally cut them off after that. It was not lost on me that I was touring the country trying to figure out how we could dismantle the patriarchy. And I was unable to even talk to my dad on the phone. Um, and, 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 and oh, in the, process of that, I was at VidCon, is a, a, a conference kind of built around YouTube. And in any case, I was on a panel. And toward the end of the panel, I made a flippant joke about a lack of principled conservative writers. And a man in the audience leapt up from his seat and he charged at the table. And he, he demanded, he was screaming, how are you going to say how are you going to say there are no principled conservative writers? How can you say that? And, and I put my hands up and, and, and I said, okay, uh, tell me, who, who do you read? You know, who should I know about? And then I watched his eyes just change from total anger to confusion because he actually, he didn't have any names of writers top of mind. And that didn't make me feel smug. It, it made me feel compassionate because I saw that he was so angry. He was so, so, so angry. And he didn't even know what he was yelling about. And I thought about my dad who, you know, we're, we're Italian. We're a little ragey. I have this in my bloodstream too. And I thought of my, my dad being so angry that maybe he didn't know what he was yelling about. And so when I first reached out back to my parents, I said, listen, we have to be able to have this conversation as I would have this conversation with you as a journalist. And, and what that meant was communicating to them, you know, I'm not lying to you as your daughter. I'm not trying to manipulate you with liberal bias as your daughter. But as a, as a journalist, my role is, is always to empower people with information. And, and I'm an opinion journalist, so I am overlaying my opinion um, on a, a communicating facts, but I'm always making that clear. And we have to be able to have difficult conversations from this shared foundation of fact. Um, and I think that, that that probably is the kind of like core structural takeaway that I, I think that families can look to is, is say, saying, how can we start from the same 
foundation. And, you know, maybe you zero in and, and you make it small and say, like, we can read a couple of the same articles together and talk about how we feel about that shared foundation that we're both moving from. And, 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 and I don't demand that my parents agree with me politically um, and, you know, or any of, any of my readers. I'm not trying to convince people to agree with me. I, I want them to think for themselves. And we, we had to be able to get to this place where we could actually just like have uncomfortable conversations right. and to, to disagree and to, to be able to do that with patience and compassion. Yeah. Um, and what I would add, so that, that's kind of the, that was the beginning. But since then, my relationship with my dad, especially, is just become beyond beyond what I ever could have imagined it would be. And, and it started slow with him not only being willing to talk about politics, but actually calling me to ask what I thought and, and having us being able to have a conversation from very different viewpoints for a number of reasons. Um, and that actually has extended into deepening our relationship at every level. And now I, I really feel as if he sees me and I can kind of like fall apart in front of him and feel comfortable that he trusts in and believes in me. And it's that having that bond with him is really kind of, it's just probably one of the things that I'm proudest of <laughs> from the past few years. Um, and and it, he really now is basically like my best friend. That's amazing. I, what I, what I love about this, and I'm so thankful you're sharing this story because it, it makes you real and people can relate to that. Here, here's what I'm hearing. First of all, we live in the United States of America. We have the opportunity to disagree. And, you know, in a, in a presidential election, every four years, we get the right to say what we believe and we move forward from there. And so I, I love that you go, look, I don't need my dad to agree with me. My dad can think whatever he wants and he lives here and he has the right to voice it just like I do. What I love what you're saying is we have to be interested in each other's thoughts. And someone told me one time that being interested is a choice and that when we sit down, if we're naturally just curious, like. You know, when your dad's curious about what you think and why you believe what you believe, then he's open to receive that from you. And maybe mm -hmm. he is swayed and maybe he's not swayed. And, and, and at the end of the day, though, he understands. And same yes. for you. If you're curious and you stop and you listen to what your dad believes and what he sees and you're curious in that and, and, and you make the choice to be interested, then you might be swayed or you won't be swayed. And yet you each understand how you got there and we can move forward in our relationship. And there just simply Absolutely. isn't enough of that going on. We are just, when someone believes differently than us, whether they live in our house or don't, we are just pushing them away. And that's a problem. That's absolutely, curiosity is, I think, the best way to think about it. I think it's just a more peaceful, stress-free way to inhabit your your worldview kind of personally, right? Like, how can you... There, there's such a feeling of having to know everything all the time or ha having the desire to be right. And what if instead you were interested in learning more and in asking questions and right. in seeing how other people see things differently? I think that asking questions is probably the best method to use. Like, especially, you know, for example, 
I'm very interested in building equitable public power. I believe everyone in the country should have equal political footing, and that's kind of the foundation of my work. And there are definitely times when I'm hoping to ask my parents some questions about how they think about things like racial justice or issues of feminism or more aggressive climate policy or things that I am in an extremely progressive viewpoint on. And and instead of saying, oh, you're racist or sexist or you've ruined the earth, baby boomer, instead I, I try to <laughs> ask questions about why they might believe what they believe and not with the not necessarily with the goal of getting them to change their mind, but in getting them to explore my viewpoint with the question and also to be curious and to see why they see the world that way. And I mean, it's honestly the exchange is really important. And I think that like at generational scale, something I'm really interested in is encouraging the wisdom of youth. I think that young people in general are written off as not having enough experience yet. We don't know how the world works. We're too idealistic and we're too naive. But I I think that there is a wisdom of youth that needs to be respected. Like the idealism that comes with youth the passion and and the necessary inheritance of the future that comes with youth is a voice that has needs to have the volume turned up on it in American politics, and that we also need to listen to and be guided by the wisdom of our elders. And how do we put generations in more productive conversation with each other? Like I think it starts with fathers and daughters yeah. um, being able to do that work one on one. Yep, I appreciate what you're saying, and I and I applaud you for having the conversation with him and being interested in his viewpoint, and him then in turn being interested in yours. And the idea of older people thinking younger people aren't aware is not new, right? So your dad right. went through that when he was growing up, and his <laughs> dad went through it when he was growing up. This this is not a new concept. What we have mm-hmm. now is the ability for young people to be more vocal than they've been in the past, just through social media and various outlets. And so here's here's where I want to take it now, then, is what advice do you want to give to dads? Because in your book, and I'm going to tell everybody, go out and read it. I don't care what side of the political aisle you put yourself on. If you're very conservative, there's parts of your book, Lauren, that are going to make people mad. And yet if uh-huh. you come to it from a curiosity standpoint, you'll learn something. And yet you talk about so many young people who are having massive impact and making change. And so I'm curious about what advice would you give to dads? When it comes to just listening to and being aware and and helping your you know teenager or or you know a millennial child through this time when they do want to feel like they have a voice, yeah, you know I I thank you I gotta say I definitely you know have views that I'm sure conservative listeners will not agree with but I would say my my goal with how to start a revolution is to empower as many people, and especially young people, and especially young women, to insist on their right to a voice. And my my goal is really getting as many people involved in the political process as possible, and not to convince people of what I believe, but to demonstrate the, the, the act of raising your voice. And what I found is that there are, increasingly, young people are stepping into this sense of agency and that I my advice to dads I think is to encourage that agency and and to encourage critical thinking and the act of raising your voice and I end the book with a plan for 
asking kind of what does it mean to be a citizen? And I think that, of, of course, voting, my God, everyone, please register, vote, and rinse, repeat. But beyond that kind of most basic, fundamental act of voting, we have to have a discipline of democracy that includes these actions of, of making our political opinions heard. And that can mean contacting elected officials, attending town halls, attending protests. There's so many options. And I think a place for, for dads, for, for an older generation, is, is helping to empower uh, younger voices and to encourage that sense of self-determination. Because a big thing that I think is important to, to emphasize is that, you know, we're, we have this myth that young people you know, just don't care. They just don't care enough to vote. And look, young youth voter turnout statistics are abysmal. But it's not actually that we like, we don't give a crap. Like there's this myth that we're like taking selfies and we're so self-obsessed that we don't have time to care about politics. But actually, at generational scale, millennials and Gen Z tend, tend to want to leave the world a better place than we found it and tend to have this altruistic instinct. And I think that if that can be plugged into political agency, that's what's missing. It's like this it's this sense of abstraction and like the, this sense of not being connected to what it really means to raise your voice. Like one of my interview subjects said to me, I understood that people could be going to town halls, but not that I should be doing that. And, and there's also this, this sense of waiting for permission and waiting your turn and like waiting to be knighted. And, and I think that dads are in an awesome position to say, like, hey, kiddo, you have to be the one to decide what you think. You have to be the one to decide who, what change you're going to make. And no, you know, no one is coming to do the thing that you wish someone would do to make the world or our community or whatever the case may be a better place. It has to be you. Um, and I think that I hope that my book is, can be empowering to young people and also to an older generation looking to encourage that shift. Here's what fatherhood is, in my opinion, is teaching your kids how to think. That, that's why we exist as parents. <laughs> we, we, we teach our children how to think so that they can make good decisions. And then we trust them to make the best decision. And so I think if my daughter came to me and disagreed with something on me in any stance of anything, I should have taught her, first of all, to logically come to that choice. And then it's my responsibility to support her and whatever she thinks is necessary. And I'm just curious if dads are really doing that. And that's why I wanted to have you on, because I have a sense that not every person's dad is like yours, that while you and your dad disagreed and it created problems and it shut you off, I have a feeling that there are many unrepaired relationships Mm-hmm. out there right now, and that it's dad's responsibility to pick up the phone. It's dad's responsibility to reach out and go, hey, I want to learn more. I'm curious about where you got. Yeah. And um, and, that, and that's ultimately what I think it is and why I, you know, why I wanted to have you on, to get that message to dad that the youthful generation now is not apathetic. I think something, another maybe way also to put it is like, we have to be able to have uncomfortable conversations about politics, but about, you know, about everything that makes us uncomfortable. And I come at this from this perspective of the, the way that I was raised, which, you know, was in a, a wealthy white suburb with regular attendance to a Roman Catholic church and this kind of like Christian ethic politeness where you don't ever want to make anyone uncomfortable. 
And I, I mean, like what I have found is that going through the pain and going through the discomfort and saying, I'm going to stay invested and interested and present. And like, because I love you, I am willing to work through this and to try and like to show up is, is kind of the greatest act of love. Like it's, it's easy to, to love when everyone is getting along. It's easy to love when you're like out to dinner or at Disney World. Like when you really show up for your relationships is when you say, this is hard. I want to scream. I want to shut down. And instead, I'm going to, to bring myself fully to this difficulty. And so like I was when I was I was raised to that talking about politics is rude. And be, it was because I, I, you know, from a very early age, even though I didn't understand political agency, I was very into gay rights and to equality. And my parents have traditionally voted Republican. So they just said, okay, let's just not talk about it because it'll be easier if we didn't. And actually what I've seen is that from the clashes and from all of the work that we've done to show up, our relationship now is more rich and nuanced and deeper than it ever was when we were just kind of like playing nice. Right. And you also don't agree on everything. I mean, that's the point is that yeah, you and your parents don't agree on many things. And I, I'm sure that you have also opened their eyes to some other ideas as well. On areas where they would have absolutely pushed back on you, they have welcomed you, would be my guess. Yes. Um, they've, especially, I think, my, you know, in I came out earlier this year, and I'm, I'm 28 years old, so that's fairly late. Um, I was actually married to a man, and so I've been through quite a bit personally, in addition to my professional work on the national stage. But when I came out, my parents were actually very accepting immediately. Um, but I think that the way that they've thought about what kept me from knowing myself sooner and the way that they've accepted their role in it, it was, has been really beautiful. So I wrote a piece about my journey and I uh, for out com and I, I read it to my dad because I, I wanted him to have a heads up that such personal stuff was going to be on the internet. And he responded to it and said, you know, and, and a lot of it is about repression, right? Like I, I somehow ended up married to this very handsome, kind man, and I didn't understand why I was miserable. And, and he said to me, you know, it's like you were tied by ropes. And you didn't even know they were there. And I tied some of the knots without even knowing. And then he said, I couldn't care less what box you're in. And like I said, they've been accepting from the start of me coming out. He said, I couldn't care less what box you're in, but I put you in a box without even knowing. And I think it's just how thoughtful he has been about the way the world is changing and some of the scripts that, that keep young women from accessing, understanding their sexuality and, and understanding their true self. And, and the reality that, you know, our culture is very heteronormative. And I was kept from understanding that I am gay because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cute. And there just was always a guy around. And that was just what you did. And like, of course, my culture played a role and my parenting in the church and all of these factors. And for my dad to say, you know, I, I see I see how I played a role in that and I'm happy that you found yourself. I think it really shows that he has become 
incredibly, incredibly thoughtful. Um, and even as they say, you know, woke to some degree. <laughs> mm-hmm. really well, and, <laughs> and now you have the best relationship you've had with him in the 28 years. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you the lowest of lows have brought you brought you to a high place. And, and so that's a good thing. Yes. I mean, I, my dad is my first call a lot of times if I'm upset or, and I need him. And I think that that's kind of been a big, I mean, this is a little more of a, a deeper cut than the political level, but I'm, I'm very emotional person and I'm dramatic. And I always, I think in the past I was, I was kind of, kind of not trusting of the way that my parents and my dad viewed me. And so I felt like if I was in crisis, and I just needed to cry, I couldn't reach out to them because they would think she's a mess and mm-hmm. like she can't handle herself. And now I think, oh my God, I have this incredible support system and I have actually this person who loves me unconditionally. Yeah. And so like if I'm a mess and even if it's for some you know ridiculous reason, the best person to call is the person who's gonna be there no matter what. And like that's been life changing. And by the way, every dad wants to be that person. No question. Okay, so let, <laughs> let's let's wrap up with this. Uh, what's the final takeaway for for these dads? What do you what if there's one message you could sit and talk to every dad in America? What do you want to tell them? Do your best to take your kids seriously, and I think from to 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 help uh, them to understand that they have a right and a duty to the political conversation, whatever your opinion may be. Whatever their opinion may be, I, I think that we all uh, ought to be participating in in this, the question of how we live together and and raising our voices. Um, and what and what I found in High Star Revolution is that sometimes the biggest gap is in empowering yourself with information and and in feeling that you have a right to a political opinion. So encourage encourage that sense of agency and yeah, be curious and ask questions and be willing to have difficult conversations because they are definitely worth the effort. No kidding. The book is How to Start a Revolution, Young People and the Future of American Politics. Lauren, how can people find you if they want to connect with you? <laughs> yes, um, I am on, on Twitter at Lauren Duca. And if, you know, I'm also, I'm trying to talk to as many young people as possible to, to in- encourage this sense of political agency. So if you if you would like to plot for, uh, on behalf of democracy with me, I could also offer up my email is lauren.duca at gmail.com. Um, and I know that's a risk, but I figure all my haters and trolls already have it. So hey, might as you well have, put it out you, there. If they don't like you, you've heard of them. I mean, some of them do it on that's national right. TV. So it is what it is. <laughs> and, and I appreciate our conversation today. My goal was just to look, dads, you want to understand what you, what's going on in the minds of your kids, whether they're in their 20s or in their or they're 12 or they're six. We want to know and we want to be there. And um, and our job is to teach our kids how to think and then support them once they've gone through that. So, Lauren, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. Good stuff from Lauren. Go check out her book, How to Start a Revolution, and follow her on Twitter. I appreciate what she said. And and let's go back to the gist of it first. How great is it that she and her dad were able to sit down and have the conversation to fix that relationship and move forward? And and think about how much better our relationships are if we're willing to just hit the pause button for a minute and become curious about what other people think. 
You know, a mentor told me one time that everybody is doing the best they can, and all of our suffering is our judgment of them. And, you know, if you disagree with someone politically, and that makes you angry, that's really on you, not on them. This is America. We've got the right to believe whatever we choose to believe when it comes to our political beliefs and social beliefs and so on and so forth. Believe whatever you want. When you choose to not be interested in what other people think, and that makes you angry, then that's your own suffering and you created that. So if you can hit the pause button for a minute and go, hmm, I'm curious why somebody thinks differently than I do. I wonder what that's about. Well, quite frankly, I bet we could solve just about every problem with that kind of attitude. I would recommend going out and getting the book. I've loved it. I thought it's been great. And she gives so many stories about how millennials and and other young people are really going out and standing for what they believe in and making massive change. And the ideas that people have about millennials just simply aren't true. They call them lazy. They're not lazy. There's a lot of data that shows that they're working very hard. They're dealing with things that, that, that older generations didn't have to deal with. They're going to be the largest population segment in the country and the largest group of voters. Let's be curious about what each other thinks, and that helps us move forward. All right, let's wrap up the way we wrap up every podcast, and that is a visit to the Kids' Corner. This is where Naomi, my little almost eight-year-old, our second grader, shares her thoughts on whatever she's been thinking, and uh, so she's going to do that today. And, and we talked a little bit about this episode, and she's going to talk about how do you handle it when you disagree with somebody else. So here we go, the Kids' Corner. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the Kids' Corner with your host, Naomi. Hi, welcome back to the Kids' Corner, and today I'll talk about what do you do if you disagree with someone? So if you disagree with someone, you can say, well, that's not my opinion. My opinion is I like soccer better than football. And this guy or girl might say, well, then you need to go to a football team and do football and you'll like it. And you might say, I don't want to. And then you might just have to walk away. This is what you do to be kind if someone disagrees with you. You can say, well, I kind of like it, or I don't like it, or I like it more, I like it less than this. So um, you can basically agree while you're disagreeing. That's it for Naomi's Corner. Have a great day. Bye. Good stuff. So proud of her. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us for Positively Dad today. Again, like I said earlier, my goal is to help us grow as parents, partners, and people. And we can only do that if we're willing to become comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Lauren said it. We've got to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversations if we're going to strengthen our relationships and become better people. And so it's about becoming comfortable being uncomfortable. That's how this is going to work and how we're going to move forward. So I thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you share it with somebody who you think might get some value out of it as well? Or rate us wherever you're listening. We love five stars. That would be great too. Write a review. And then finally, we'd love to connect with you. We're all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Positively Dad and uh, you can find us there. And finally, if, if you know someone who'd be a great guest or maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. James at PositivelyDad.com is my email address. I'd love to connect with you. Thanks again for listening to Positively Dad. I'm James Shaw. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.